Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekusli. All right, Lagos. We've taken you around the world in two minutes, and now you're back here on Hard Facts. I'm Sandra Ezekusli. What should police reform look like? What should police reform look like? I think that's the question we should spend most of our energy answering as a nation. We all agree that the police and the policing system need reform. We all agree that police brutality and human rights violations are a major systemic problem. Where we start to have difficulty is deciding what should be done about it. Now, here's today's big hard fact. In 2006 and 2008, the federal government set up two different police reform panels. None of their recommendations were ever adopted. So sometimes, even when we have an idea of what to do, political will to do it also becomes the problem. So today and for the next few days, we're going to have several conversations about police reform. We're going to be talking a lot about police reform. We're going to go deeply into the issues, into the details. We're going to have very specific conversations. We'll be very specific about what and what needs to be done to solve a particular problem and how it can be done and who should do it and who should hold them accountable. Now, we have to understand that there are multiple aspects of policing that need reform. And government will need to work on each. So there's recruitment, there's training, there's uh, uh, conduct, there's monitoring and management, there's promotion, there's discipline. If all these areas worked well, our police would work well. The problems with policing are because each of these areas isn't working right. So the first um, piece of the pie that we will eat today is police recruitment. Now, in the coming days, we're going to look at each area one by one. First of all, we'll look at the ways it's being done wrong and how it's leading to corruption, uh, corruption and uh, brutality. Then we're going to look at solutions. What should we change? Who has the power to change it? What should they change? What should they change it to? How do we ensure the changes are made? Over the next couple of days, that's the conversation we're going to be having. Now, we need to talk about police reform and uh, reforming police recruitment. Is someone who knows a lot about policy development and recruiting. He's an executive with a fintech firm, and he was also a World Bank consultant for many years. Chief Andy Obofarebo, welcome back to Hard Facts. Great to be here, Sandra. Thank you. Now, we also want to hear from you, Lagos. Remember, I'm not in the live studio, so that means that uh, I'm going to need you to leave your thoughts with me on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. Me not being in the live studio means I cannot pick your call, but we can definitely talk to each other online. So Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3, and uh, uh, Twitter, Nigeria Info. Now, uh, Chief, let me come back to you. By the way, Lagos, when you're talking to me on Facebook, I need to know what you think should be changed about the way police officers are recruited and hired. What should change about that process? 
We're not talking about other aspects today. Today we're talking solely about recruitment. Chief of Operable, how does recruitment into the police force currently work? Okay, so currently recruitment is like a, it's a multi-step process. So it starts with um, you know there is a recruiting pool. Some people are eligible to be recruited into the force, and some people are not. Right. So what we have is a situation where there's a cutoff. Okay. So if you want to be a rank and file member of the police force, you have to have a first school leaving certificate. So basically, after I finish primary school. And that allows you to be recruited into the force. Now, if you want to come in at a higher level, the requirements are different. You need um, more, um, you know, higher certificate to come in at higher levels. But I'm talking about rank and file who are the majority of police officers. So that's how they come in, right? Now, having come in that way, uh, having, that's what makes you eligible to apply. Now, the application process, the way it works is you go to your local police station and say you want to apply, and you have to come with references. You know, people from, somebody has to refer you. You have to have referrals. That So what happens then is the commissioner um, in your area, in your state, looks at your references, looks at you, your application, and based on what they see in those applications, decide whether or not to call you in for an in-person interview. Right. Now, you come in for that in-person interview, and then based on that interview again, they like your face, they like the way you talk. Of course, they are police officers, so it, technically, the way it's set up, it's expected that the, that the people interviewing you, the commissioner, is able to use their detective work as police officers to get some idea of the type of person you are. And so there's sort of a character evaluation being done there as well. And then when they're done with that, they decide that, look, yes, this person could be police material. They now send on your application. When you, they send on your application, you are now invited back to take the exam. Now, now this exam that you take is is conducted by the... Um, the exam is, is um, set by the police college, but you take the exam... In your, in your, um, in in the states from which you are applying to be a police officer, right? And you sit the exam. The exam is sent to the police college. They mark the exam, okay. and if you pass, and you're among you know, let's say they're recruiting, I don't know, a thousand people or a hundred people. If you are in the top for that, so if you if you meet the cutoff and you're among the top candidates, then you are called for recruitment. At that point, recruitment now switches to training, which we're not talking about today, right? So they now take you, they now take your um, accepted application and it sends to the police college and then you are called in for training. So that's the pipeline for recruiting a police officer. Interesting. Now, why are the educational requirements for recruitment so low? Do you think um, the requirements should be raised? So the requirements were kept that low. Um, it's a relic from our past. It's a relic from our colonial past. So bear in mind that when the Niger, the police force that has evolved into the NPF, into the Nigerian police force, bear in mind that when it was set up, you know, this constabulary set up in the colonial times, there were not that many educated Nigerians. 
I see. There were not that many Nigerians, obviously, who had gone to university. And there were also not many Nigerians who had gone to, who had finished secondary school. Right. So it was um, sort of, if you were going to leave the requirement high and say, oh, you need school certificate in order to join the um, police, you wouldn't have been able to find a lot of police officers. Uh-huh. Bear in mind, like, okay, so yeah, you can have that sort of requirement maybe for the army, but you need, well, if you're serious anyway, you need far more police officers than you do, you know, soldiers. So you need to keep the requirements broad-based enough to be able to recruit people. Now, that just was never questioned. I, I, I always joke, I joke that sometimes, I think maybe the, the British didn't leave us handover notes. Because <laughs> what ends up happening is the British did something because they were under some constraint, expecting that in the future, when those constraints are gone, they will change the way they did it. But we just took over. Now, so the British do them. So we just continue doing it. So maybe if we had handover notes that said, oh, by the way, when you have enough people who have graduated from secondary school, you need to change your requirements for police recruitment and raise it so that now primary school um, leavers can't join the police anymore. You need to have um, secondary school leavers. Now, you asked me, um, do I think it should be raised? I think you can already see my answer from that. Um, yes, I think it needs to be raised. And um, because for the simple fact that, you know, um, you you need as educated a police force as you can get. You know, I thought I thought bad path, but you have to, as much as possible to try to ensure that you have an educated police force. Remember that the police are supposed to be enforcing the law. Right. So... How can you enforce a law if you can't read the law or understand the law? That's the question, and that's why you need to raise educational requirements. Okay. If you just joined the show, hello to you. Welcome. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. What should police reform look like? That's the question that uh, we should spend most of our energy answering as a nation. We all agree that the police and the policing system need reform. We all agree that police brutality and human rights violations are a major systemic problem. Where we have difficulty is deciding what should be done about it. I told you, for instance, that in 2006 and in 2008, uh, police reforms were suggested. In fact, a panel sat for it. They set up two different police reform panels. And none of their recommendations were ever adopted. So sometimes, even when we have an idea of what to do, police will, a uh, 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 political will, sorry, will be a problem anyway. And so that's why for the, for the next few episodes of Hard Facts, we will spend time discussing what exactly police reform will look like. Today, we've started with police recruitment, and Chief Obofuribo has talked to us about um, what uh, recruitment into the police force currently looks like, how it currently works. We've talked about what the educational educational, uh, requirements for recruitment are, why the the requirements are so low, and if he thinks it should be raised. Now, I want to find out in what ways the education requirement contributes to corruption and police brutality. Chief. Well, I think the, on the surface, the most obvious way is the, the more educated a person is, the less likely as a result of violence. That's just simple truth. So that already starts there. When you're telling people that 
you're going to have the people with the monopoly of violence in a society and you don't want to make sure that they at least have a secondary school degree, you're opening yourself up to the possibility that you're going to have poorly educated people carrying guns, carrying batons, with the right to use force on the people. So you're already opening up the road for police brutality. Secondly, like I said before, um, if you if you can't read and understand the law, how are you expected to enforce the law? Now, the law is not like reading um, is it goes to school. Laws are complicated documents. I mean, I you know, when I was in policy, I uh, half of my job was sitting down to read laws and regulations and understand them. And even for me, who was doing that as a professional, it can get tricky. And that's me after, you know, having a university degree. So imagine how difficult it may be for somebody who got, who has only received a primary school education, maybe a primary school education in a rural area where English was, may not have even been the primary language of instruction. And so imagine how difficult such a person now, how it would difficult it would be for such a person to read a law and understand that law and understand that, oh, this person I'm seeing on the road has not broken this law or has broken this law. So this person, that is why you have problems like, um, for instance, where police keep insisting on shooting and tear gassing demonstrators who are gathered peacefully. That happens because even though the Supreme Court has ruled that the police, um, that we all have the right to gather, but I guess some people are having difficulty reading that law. Or you have a situation whereby, like when I was growing up in Port Harcourt, do you know that police would arrest people routinely? I would read in the Tide newspaper, which was <laughs> the newspaper in, um, the, in the government newspaper in River State at the time. Right. And police would have written that, oh, Andrew Wolfribo was arrested and part of his crime would be, they would say, maybe loitering, um, public disorder, and uh, possession of key. What? Possession of key. So, uh, what, what does that mean? It means that as they arrested him, they were searched him and they found a bunch of keys on him. And the police, keys, like uh, regular KEY. Yeah, KEY, key to open a door or to oh. open a lock. And they're like, ah, yeah, they carry key. Ah, key in an exhibit now. And possession of key became a thing. Was key an exhibit? No, it was not. I mean, okay, so I guess somewhere along the line, somebody realized that, oh, burglars are carrying keys and, you know, robbing people with keys. But in of itself, it's not a crime to have a key. But explain that to somebody who barely managed to finish primary school who finished primary school in maybe some village like my village in Ugu or in Okrika, local government area, maybe who didn't get instructed in English. And now you're expecting him to hold very complicated thoughts together and interface with the law in a very complex way. But he can't because he was not exposed to that in his education. That's why you end up, you end up with them simplifying things. You know, some Yahoo people... Some fraudsters carry laptops. So some of the people who carry laptops are fraudsters. But you, if that's not the only thing you have to look for. It's more nuanced, this and that. That's hard to explain to somebody who didn't finish even junior secondary school. Is it? Um, you're, you're talking about... I, I know what you're doing right now in your mind, Sandra. You're, you're thinking about yourself when you finish primary school. Exactly. You're thinking about the level of education that you achieve. But exactly. remember that just for the fact that you were able to graduate from university, Chances are that the primary school you went to was among the top 10% in Nigeria. Ask anybody who had to teach for their NYSD, who had to go to the middle of nowhere, to some rural area to teach 
Ask them how many of them were the only teacher who actually had finished university. Ask them how many of their students could speak English, how many of their students could read and write properly in English. And then you realize that having a primary school certificate as the main criterion for entering into the police force is a recipe for disaster. That is why you end up with police who believing anybody that has dreadlock is a criminal and anybody carrying a key, ah, I exit it. Now, some people are listening to me and they're like, come on now. The fact that I have a primary school certificate doesn't mean I'm unintelligent or I don't have none or I can't see what is right and what is wrong. So is it really about the certificate? Is it really about the level of education? Well, I will start by saying it's not. What I mean by that is you always have exceptions, but these certificates exist for a reason. You wouldn't want a somebody who hasn't, put it this way, if somebody hasn't gone to secondary school, you won't want to admit them into medical school. Yeah. So if somebody hasn't gone to secondary school, do you want to admit them into power of life and death school? Because that's what the police has. The police academy trains people to control the power over life and death. That's what police do every day. Police decide. The same way a doctor decides whether to operate or whether to give you aspirin, a police officer decides every day whether to wave you past or whether to shoot you dead. So do you really want that power in the hands of somebody who did not even finish GS3? All right, let's move on to um, how exactly um, that particular requirement contributes to corruption and brutality. So it's like I said, so with brutality and with corruption now, part of the issue is the less educated somebody is, the more likely they are to subvert the system, subvert the law and all of that. So now... Um, that contributes directly to corruption. It, co- it also becomes, you know... Okay, so for instance, you have situations where you have people in government believe that their loyalty is to the, their ogre and not to their, the institution or to the people. That's a direct result of a lack of education. But when somebody is educated, when somebody is educated, you can explain to them the nuance that, look... Your loyalty is not to the ogre who hired you. Your loyalty is not to your direct ogre. Your loyalty is to the Federal Republic of Nigeria, and your loyalty is to these people that you see on the road who um, you're, you're stopping and searching. You work for them. It's harder to explain that to somebody with less of an education, because that's a very nuanced point to me. Now, um, in terms of... Um, so that, that's in terms of, you know, of brutality. And that, that's why it also leads to brutality this idea of bloody civilian and all of that and the police are beating us, is because the police have... It, it, it has been very difficult to educate the police about what their role in society is. And you've heard it. Um, the other day I was on your show with Saratu, uh, Saratu Abiola, and she was talking about all the trainings they've done on the police. Why do you think those trainings are not sticking? It's because of a lack of fundamental education for the rank and file of police officers. So when we're talking about reforming the police, it has to start with education, both changing the standards for the new police coming in, and then for the ones who are already on ground, remedial education 
like increasing. You know, we're not teaching them about policing. Let's start teaching them about compound interest and algebra and all those things that you learn in secondary school that actually expand your mind and help you to um, to process higher ideas. Okay. Well, we need to take a quick break. After the break, of course, uh, we'll come back and continue this conversation. Lagos, don't forget that I'm not in the live studio, so that means that you have to send your messages to me via social media. So Twitter, at Nigeria Info FM, Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3. And of course, uh, I have on the show with me an executive with a fintech who worked with the World Bank for at least a decade. And so he's talking policy with us. And we're talking about the recruitment process specifically of the Nigerian police as one of the first steps towards reforming the Nigerian police. I am Sandra Ezekwesli. Don't go away. Yes, indeed, Lagos. Welcome back to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekwesli. And we're having conversations about police reform. I have on the show with me a guest who is quite knowledgeable about policy. Uh, He knows a lot about policy, development, and recruiting. He's an executive with a fintech firm, and he also uh, was a World Bank consultant for a lot of years. Chief Andy Obofurable, thank you so much for joining us yet again. Always great to be here. All right, so before the break, we were talking about how the educational requirement um, can lead to corruption and police brutality. Now, is the educational requirement set by the law or is it a regulation within the police force itself? Uh, unfortunately, it's set by law. Oh. Yes, it's it's in the Police Act, you know, like what was updated at the turn of democracy to become the Police Act. So, yeah, it's written there, it's set in stone. This is it. You need, these are the degree, this is, these are the certificates you need to join the police force. So, uh, yeah, the law enshrines it. I see. All right. So, um, the only way to change this requirement is to amend the police act. Exactly. You need to, you need to amend the police act. So you need, basically you need the house of reps and the house of, I'm sorry, the house of reps and the Senate to accept an amendment, to pass an amendment to the police act where it basically just changes that clause that talks about um, education requirements and changes it from a school certificate to whatever you want to put it out as maybe a YX certificate or whatever it is, change it to that and then let the president sign it and then it's done. So that sounds easy enough. Yeah, it's easy enough if you can get them to do it. Like if you can get, if, you, if, if Nigerians can put pressure on their uh, elected officials to do that, what normally happens in that situation is the elected officials don't want to do something like that because they don't want to rock the boat because um, they're trying to make sure that their electorate and the people who, you know, because, again, because uh, now I'm here to talk about things uh, from a policy perspective. But from apart from policy, you have to talk about implementation. So a lot of the time, where you have the challenge, the hiccup is, the, the, the elected officials already have pressure on them to leave these things as they are. So, for instance... They don't want to disturb the people in the village who who they gather to vote for them on election day. So they don't want to change the requirement that it's low because that gives people hope. Air hey, my son, my picking feet enter police, and that's fine that people have that hope. But do, is that really how we want to staff the police? So if we've agreed that the education requirements for this particular job, the police force, because this is a life and death job, in the same way we have the, we have it higher for doctors. Maybe we need to raise it higher for police. But you see, 
then there will be a natural resistance on the part of elected officials to change it. So if we want that, then that means we have to organize, lobby, and put that pressure on them to change it. Right. Okay. So, um, no, before we move on, recently we saw the appeal court declare that parts of the new police act are unconstitutional. Of course, the Supreme Court will make final decision. But tell us, why did the appeal court make that ruling? Yeah, and that's, the, that's a perfect example of how amending the law in Nigeria can at times be more difficult than it should be. Uh, so basically what happened there was, the you know, and of course the, the government, um, the president and the National Assembly have been making a lot, touting a lot, this change, this amendment to the police act, this new police act. So they've been talking about it. It was when it was signed. It was a big point of pride. And only for the appeal court to now say that it's not constitutional. Why? Because some aspects of policing are beyond the power of the police act because they are written in the Constitution. As you know, no law is allowed to contradict the Constitution. If the Constitution says A, no law is allowed to say not A. So, uh, in this particular instance, the new police act that was passed this year, the appeal court believes it does it contradicts the constitution in a particular sense. It gives the power of, to recruit police officers, which we're talking about here today, to the inspector general of police and to the president. And under the constitution, those powers are, that power is specifically given to the police service commission. So. Where constitution says yes, no man can say no. So if the constitution has said only the PSD, the Police Service Commission, can recruit police officers, no law can come and say no, actually we'll also give that power to the IG. So the PSD took the government to court, and the gov- and so far the appeal court has said yes, PSD is right. And that's why the law, if the Supreme Court agrees, then the law will be null and void. Hmm. Now, if we're talking about amending the Police Act, you've already mentioned that um, citizens will have to talk to their senators and their reps, right? Right. That's the only way. Okay. How are the rules and... um, um, uh, Before we move to rules and guidelines, you said that recruitment requires references. My ear perked when you said that. If that's done... Referrals allow the police to make sure that the applicant is suitable. Why isn't the referral system working? Great question. And that's one other issue, policy issue. Because we're talking about how politics... So we, we've talked about the first two big problems we have with, 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 with policies in Nigeria. The first, we talked about it when it came to the educational requirement. Is a lot of the time, we, we inherit standards that are not good enough and we just never change them. That's one. The second problem is when we talked about um, with... Um, um, just now with changing the law, which is often that you have a lack of will on the part of the elected officials, the lawmakers, and the executive to change laws because of invested interest, institutional interest, and, you know, taking care of of some electorate. But this third issue now is what we face here, which is that sometimes something is on paper already great. The, The rule, as it is written on paper, is great, but people find ways around the rule because maybe it's not precise enough. So here we have a situation with referral. Uh, technically, under the law, under the police act, when somebody is applying to be a police officer, they have to come with referrals, which the police command will look at and 
those referrals will inform the police command's decision. But here are the problems with that. One, first of all, there is really no clear guideline as to what those referrals should be, who they should be from, right? That's one. Two, there's also nothing binding the, 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 um, you know, the police command to accept or reject a candidate based on the referrals. So if they're on paper, great, but anybody can decide to just completely ignore it. If I am a police commissioner and, you know, you are my niece and I want to make sure that you join the police, even if you don't have a, ref- a reference from anybody, I can basically make it up and say you did. And there's nothing really, there's no mechanism in place for making sure that that particular requirement is being followed. Now, how are the rules and guidelines for referrals set? Who is in charge of setting the standard? Is there a way to get around this problem that you just highlighted? Okay, so the way it's set up right now, um, the Police Act just basically leaves it very vague. But essentially, that power ultimately is one of those things that is determined by the Inspector General of Police by um, standing order. So the Inspector General of Police is empowered to give orders and lay down set instructions that allows the police to implement the things um, put down in the police act. So wherever there is a lacuna, wherever there is a blank, the IG is the one who um, the IG is the one who fills that blank. So a situation like now, referrals, then the IG is the one who now says, you know what? Here are the guidelines for for, for, uh, for what a proper referral is. Who is and who should be the ones. From whom do we accept um, referrals, um, and how much import uh, input or uh, import does a referral have? You are not allowed to hire a police officer or, or to um, accept a police officer for for the exam if he does not have a referral from such a person, such a type of person, such a type of person. That rule, that set of rules, can only be created by the Inspector General of Police, as things stand right now, or the Police Service Commission. Because let's also remember that the Police Service Commission, both by the Act of, both by the Police Act, and by the um, Police Service Commission Act, and if you want to push it even further, by the Constitution, is also given the power to set employment um, um, requirements. So either the IG or the PSC can take action and say, you know what, from now on, here is how we do. Okay. Now, let's talk about how um, the system can be improved. Are there concrete, tangible reforms that can be implemented there? Yes. You mean the referral system? Yes. Okay. So there, here's where I see it. What you need is, we need, okay, so, and, and this, is, this actually presents an avenue of opportunity. One of the problems the Nigerian citizens are having is they don't believe that the police is answerable to them. They don't like the idea that People are entering the police force, and these are people of, you know, they want to be able to know that whoever is being hired by the police is somebody of good character, somebody of good standing in society. So what if, for instance, um, the police service commission were to lay down a rule and say, going forward, before somebody can be, um, can apply um, for a job in the, with the police, that a ref, they must get a reference from their community, for instance. Identif- isolate the community as one of the mandatory references. Now, by community here, I mean whatever organization is, you know, whatever organization 
is running that community where the person lives at that basic level. So it could be like, um, you know, your community, um, like your development committee. Doesn't that open the door for corruption? Because, I mean, people tell you how they can go to any local government and just get a stamp that a local government they are not from. It's their local government. So isn't that one more place where corruption can creep in? Now, the question you have here is this. Um, you already have corruption in the system anyway, right? Currently, what is going on is all the corruption is internalized. Right, so you have a situation where the police command themselves are the ones choosing who gets to apply to become a police officer. That adds to corruption in this way. That is the reason why you hear police officers say, even before they can apply, they have brought out a lot of money and they paid people in within the police force, and then they spend the first few months or years of, of service pay them. Um, trying to recoup what they have paid. And then they sit there and they still even have to still make remittances because everything is being done in-house and internally. When you now remove those requirements and create an external group that has to have input into the selection of those people who are shortlisted for police work, what you have done is you have separated the locus of corruption, if you want to put it that way. Does that completely eliminate the problem of corruption no, because almost nothing can eliminate the problem of corruption in Nigeria. But what you've now done is you've made sure that the police do no longer have a monopoly of who is allowed to be to, to apply for police work. You've put that in the in the hands of the community. Now you can talk about okay, how do we go about structuring it so that the community cannot do these things in a, in an ad hoc way? Now that's also very easy to do relatively. But now we're talking about community reform, we're going beyond police reform, but I can talk about that too. Because, by the way, I don't think you told your uh, you told your listeners, I'm a chief, um, so I'm actually the head of a community in River State. So I know how we have put in place structures to formalize a lot of these processes. You can't just come to my, my committee and say, oh, you're a member of Binapatabon. No, we have rules and regulations in place, and we the community, even the, the grassroots membership in my community, we have representative panels. So they're on board. So anything even I do as a chief, before I approve it, my constituents are aware and they say yes or no. So nobody, if now, for instance, the PSD, the Police Service Commission, puts down a rule to say nobody can apply for work as a police officer except they get a, a, I'm sorry, a, a referral from the host community. There is no way you will be, I as a chief in my host community, will be able to give that referral without the other people in the community being aware and so if I collected money to do that, um, I might end up being chased out of my house and somebody will take my staff. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to the next question, let me take a look at the comments that we've gotten on Facebook so far, which is quite a lot. Remember, I'm not in the live studio, so I can't take your calls. You have to leave me your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. Twitter is at Nigeria in Now we've got Tarzan Sinclair who says background checks is the first thing that needs to happen. Uh, number two, at least ND certificate. Number three, IQ test. Number four, rethink test on human relations and other constitutional rights of others. Uh, before recruitment, the officers should be taught criminal law, even if it's just the introductory part and also access to that effect. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Chief? 
Yes, exactly. I I am also of the agreement that uh, OND should be the standard for even getting to the police force. We have enough tertiary education graduates with ONDs, HNDs, bachelor's degrees who cannot find work. So if we ha- and if we now have an institution where we need to get people in the police force to have power over life and death, I would rather it be a graduate who can at least read the laws and understand the laws deep enough for my comfort. So I think that's the direction we need. But it's not every OND or, or HND or DSC holder or DA holder that can understand the law. Yeah, of course. But it's a question of um, recruitment. You're still going to screen them and test them after you do that. But aren't you making the job easier for yourself if you restrict the recruitment pool to people with OND and HND, knowing that even some of them won't make that the standard, than to open it up to even people with a first school living certificate? Because you know full well that most of them will not make the standard either. Okay. Uh, more comments on Facebook. Ugochukumogo says, firstly, the certification should be upgraded to a minimum of national diploma. Secondly, all police officers should be made to undergo seminars at least quarterly each year. Thirdly, their remuneration should be looked into and raised to a considerable amount to keep them comfortable. Lastly, the use of firearms and the training on ICT should be included in all units of the, of the force. Mm. Archangel says, are they going to contract foreign experts to train them? After then, what? They go back to their old ways. I think it's high time they're made to face the consequences of their ill. They, the police, are not opposed to law. That's the best way to reform them. He does make a good point about who's going to do the training, Chief of Purple. Yeah, so I think, you know, training, like we said before, like you said at the beginning of the show, training is a separate conversation from recruitment. I don't know if I'm allowed to go into that today or if we're going to save that for another day. But fine, we'll get into that the next time we have to talk about it. But um, let me take more comments. We've got Tent Val Akane who says, by throwing away all the old manuals used to train uh, from the 60s and get experts in other countries to train our police officers. Their mentality has to change, uh, welfare has to change, etc. The police must be polite when dealing with people. Sometimes they let their anger and their rage get in the way. All right, let's go back to um, my own question. Remember, of course, Facebook Nigeria Info 99.3. Let's talk about screening. All applicants undergo an exam, and you've also talked about it. It's better uh, for the pool to have applicants who are good enough than to have applicants who have just their first school leaving certificate. Now, who is responsible for setting the exam, for administering the exam? For marking the exam. Okay, great. So, um, setting the exam that's done by the police college is done by the recruiting officer. That the the person who has the ultimate responsibility for setting the exam is the recruiting officer uh, in the police force. So that's the head of the police college in Ikeja and then the, for the south, and then the police college in Kaduna for the north. So, uh, so those are who set the exam. Now. The way the exam is administered, after the exams are set, they say, and they know how many people are taking the exam in every um, part of the country, once a month, the exams are sent out to all the different police commands. And then the applicants from a particular state go and sit down at that police command and write the exam. So that's how it works. 
So now, who is administering the exam when they sit down to write it? It's the um, is the is the police commissioner. Or so basically, if not the commissioner himself or herself, it's going to be somebody at police command at the state level, and they they do the invigilation and everything and make sure the exams are, are done. And then after that, the exams are sent back to the police college for for marking. The marking is done centrally. It's kind of like jam or wayek. You don't mark it at the center. It's sent back to, at the center where it's taken. It's sent back to the headquarters, and then the headquarters is the one that um, that handles the marking of the exam. I think. All right. So let's talk um, about how possible it is uh, for people who who pass this exam to still end up, uh, or, you know, to still end up as police officers who are unable to do the job. That's a good question because. I mean, the question is so good because it's so obvious in the sense that if this exam is so great, how come people who are passing the exam end up being like subpar police officers? Now, there are lots of reasons. Part of it is that somebody can know something on paper and then when it's time to do the job, because they don't have to do the job, there are no incentives to do the job, and there's no punishment for doing the job wrong, they choose to do the job wrong out of self-interest. But also, part of it is simply that a lot of people who should have failed that exam are being passed. And what I said there should not come as a shock to anybody. You know, I listened to your show when you talked about um, malpractice in the YAK exam. That was a couple of months ago. And you talked about how people were, like, you know, basically cheating at YAK exam centers. Um, I don't think it should shock anybody to find out that people cheat in the police exam too that the same things you have, special centers and all of that, that you may not have a special center, but you still have basically, at the police command, is being treated like a police, uh, like a special center. Because, let, think about this for a moment, Sandra. Imagine that I am a DPO, right? Mm-hmm. Or I am, an, uh, you know, I'm ASP, or I'm even the commissioner of police mm-hmm. in my state. And you are my niece, and they brought you to me. You are my, you are my sister's daughter. She brought you to me. Please, I should find work for her inside the police. I've already, like, doctored your referrals and brought you through. Now you have gone to write the exam. I know the person who is invigilating your exam. It's all now we, we. Everybody who sits down there is a candidate sent by somebody else in the police force. So what we're simply going to do, and then we are still the ones, we are still the same police force who receive the exams from um, police college. All we are going to do is pull our strings and make sure that we sit down and write that exam for you. We'll bring one very bright sergeant or corporal to sit down and write those exams for everybody. And after those exams are written for everybody, send them back to Ikeja. Is there a way to circumvent it? Um, how did JAM circumvent it? JAM circumvented malpractice in the UTME by, by in the post-UTME by instituting the computer-based test. If we're serious, that's what we do. Like, if we are serious in this country, we don't do any standardized tests that are not CBT. Because we have seen that Nigerians and exams like NAK Debed, where hunters have learned to shoot without missing, the bird learns to fly without perching. So as long as it's a paper-based exam with, uh, with, with questions and an answer sheet somewhere, and the exam is not being marked immediately, Centrally, it has to be. You have to rely on the exam, the paper arriving ahead of time. Somebody has to domicile the paper and then bring out the paper at the right time for the exam. 
guy. Nigerians will find a way to get their question paper, get the answers, write it, and change it. But again, a CBT requires that a person has been interacting with ICT in the early part of their education. There is, in fact, a lot of criticism for jam CBT because of this reason. How can you make people write CBT for jam when all through their public secondary school they probably never learned how to work a computer? Do we not have that same problem here? Let me let me turn that question on, on its head and ask you: How do you allow people to carry gone if their whole life they've not touched a computer? You know, we are still coming back to the same point which is that see, all these things that we're talking about, yes, it's people, yes, the standards are high, but really, if there's one group of people on whom we should impose these high standards, aren't they the people who have the power of life and death over us and our children every day? Should we really say, you know what, let's give room to hire this person. He never touched computers before. Make we give him AK-47 to enter road. Like, if there's one group of people who must be forced to be computer literate, is involved applying for work with the police. They have to be part of it. How do you become... That is, that's, the reason why, that's the reason why we have police stopping people for carrying iPhones and laptops and tablets. Because to them, these things are alien. So maybe we start by having it be people who, who are comfortable enough with computers and technology to be able to write a, a CBT, a computer-based test. Because those people are less likely to see me moving with my laptop and decide that I'm a fraudster. All right. Now let's talk about content. We've got, uh, like, we've got about two minutes, actually. We've got just two minutes. Oh, my God. Where does the time go? Uh, let me... Let me... I'm coming back. <laughs> yes, you are coming back. Okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> but I have to mention uh, that we've got, like, GOSA coming up uh, between um, uh, six... 15 and 6.30. Lagosa ha- happens immediately after the news at 6. I never miss it. It's a great show. Oh. And then at 6.30, we have um, Lisa Lagosha with Iriti Bakare. I haven't been in the studio, so I didn't forget how much show goes. <laughs> but yes, um, that's what's going to happen in the next few minutes. I have to wrap up the show, but I'd like to thank you for being a part of today's show. Uh, it's been great. I have had a conversation with Chief Andy Obofurbo, who is uh, a policy consultant who consulted for the World Bank for a long time. He's also an executive um, with a fintech firm. And so that uh, makes him the perfect person to talk to about police recruitment, about policy development, um, because he's worked in policy and he's worked in recruitment. I told you uh, that in 2006 and 2008, the federal government set up two different police uh, reform panels and none of their recommendations were ever adopted. So what I'm trying to do with this conversation that I've started on hard facts is to look at each area of policing, look at the multiple aspects of policing that need reform and what government needs to do to Give us the report. So today we've talked about recruitment. We've not finished the conversation on recruitment, so there'll be a part two, obviously. Then we'll move on to training. Then we'll move on to conduct. And then there's monitoring and management. And then there's promotion. And then there's discipline. If all these areas worked well, our police would work well. The problem with policing are because each of these areas are not working well. And if you paid attention to what Chief Oboferbo said for the first 55 minutes of this show, you would see where all the problems start. 
Now, I'm Sandra Ezekwesili on social media, Ezekwesili on Twitter, Ezekwesili on Instagram, and I'd like to connect with you, so get in touch. Uh, but stay here for the news at 6, and after that, we've got Lister uh, Negotian as well as Lagosa. Until tomorrow, when I bring you Global Review, actually, no, it's Victory Global these days, so wear hard facts, Good night.